Sometime in the year 1912, a man looked around at several faces in a swarming sea of passengers on the subway station of Concord in France and decided to do something about it. So he let himself be inspired by haiku, the Japanese art form of short poetry, and wrote what came to be known as one of the shortest poems in modern poetry. That man was Ezra Pound, and the poem was in a station of the metro. Hello and welcome. This is your host Garfield D'Souza and you're listening to episode 2 of I Could Think of Purse. The apparition of these faces in the crowd, petals on a wet black bow. The first time I read those two lines, I wasn't pretty much impressed at all. To me, it was just two lines and, well, too short an experience to savor. It was only when I read it again, this time without any of the 10,000 things I was doing when I had read it before, did I realize that there's a lot here that I had merrily let skip in my observation. Pound initially wrote some 30-odd lines, then slashed it to half, and thereafter snipped it down to these 14, the ones you just heard. Those appeared in April 1913 in Poetry, a magazine published in Chicago. You'll notice there's not a verb included in the poem, and it ends just as you have started to etch that visual in your imagination. Come to think of it, there's a lot of imagery in those 14 words. It drips with it every time you rummage through those two lines. You see Ezra standing there in the midst of those passengers and minutely observing every lock and curl and raised eyebrow and nimble palm and wondering whether they are indeed flesh and blood or a ghostly set of spirits that stood there, perhaps silently, awaiting a train to take them to some ethereal place. Ezra likens all of that to petals perched on a wet black bow. Probably the momentary presence of the passengers at that station reminded Ezra of the fact that petals perched on a bow could be swept away by a gust of wind, much the same way as a subway train does empty out a station. Of course, Ezra doesn't explicitly say he likens all of that to those petals. He just makes that observation and places it under the first line. A semicolon separates the two, and it's this semicolon, which usually indicates that what's to come after it is in some form and manner related to what's before it, that gives you hope that, yes, there is a metaphor here in the making. The poem is also quite an example of paradaxis, a literary technique, a figure of speech, in which phrases or clauses are lined up one after another. In the case of this poem, the ensuing effect 
exudes an urgency and immediacy a sort of determination to get you to immediately visualize what's being described for in that visual resolution lies the essence of the poem this and the sparse scant verbiage of the poem is very much in line with imagism a movement of which Ezra himself was the main proponent Imagism requires you to directly tackle the topic of your poem head on with the bare minimum set of words needed to present it and to put it all in a sequence reminiscent of a rather musical phrase all of these tenets of imagism this poem abides by and exemplifies to the best of its ability clearly then bound had the knack for some brilliant imagination and his verbal vocabulary knew how to make your visual one dance to its tune sadly for a man this talented and this poetically iconoclastic bound made some rather surprising choices which turned out to be big massive blunders for his career and eclipsed his poetic dexterity at one point almost into oblivion He somehow developed a taste and a fancy for fascism. He was quite in love with Mussolini's style of governance. He considered Mussolini to be a humble, imperfect character. Hitler to Ezra was a saint, and saying that Ezra didn't have a good word for the Jews is putting it rather mildly. But what ultimately landed him in trouble and with a charge of treason were his infamous radio broadcast made for the Italian government during World War II in 1945. In those broadcasts, he berated the United States, the United Kingdom, and the Jews, saying they, alongside many other aspects, were responsible for causing and prolonging the war. Naturally, then, when the American troops took control of Italy, He was arrested and deemed a traitor and many including Ernest Hemingway who was Ezra's erstwhile friend and whose work Ezra had helped shape and discover said that he had made his bed and needed to lie in it Back in the United States Ezra was found unfit to stand trial and languished at St Elizabeth's Psychiatric Hospital, Washington DC. After 12 long miserable years, a campaign run by his writer friends, which included poet Archibald MacLeish and Hemingway as well, sought and obtained his release on the grounds that he was clinically way too insane to be cured. Upon his release, Ezra lived out the rest of his life in Italy, where he suffered rather acutely from depression and ultimately died in 1972, right next door to the country that housed the station of the Metro.
That's all I have for you in this episode of I Could Think of Verse. You can follow us on Twitter at Think of Verse. That's Think of Verse, all one word, no spaces in between. And on Instagram, we are at I Could Think of Verse. That's I Could Think of Verse, all one word, no spaces in between. And on that note, it's time to say goodbye. Do join me again in the next episode of I Could Think of Verse, wherein I discover the allure of yet another equally fascinating poem. Until then, here's me, your host, Garfield D'Souza, saying goodbye, God bless, and stay safe. <laughs>